everyone. I'm Rachel Poli with Ari Meglin, and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer podcast. We are on episode 14, and this week's question is, do you write linearly or jump around? This week, we welcome our special guest, author Julie Valerie. Before we get into this week's topic, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a show. If you enjoy our episodes, please give it a like. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Yay! Thanks for being here with us. This week. My pleasure. Thank you. It's so cool to finally, you know, see you in person, even though it's online, but it's cool to finally hear your voice. I agree. It's so nice to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, oh definitely. Of course, anytime. Lovely having you on. All right. This week, we're discussing the order of writing a novel. Do you write linearly, meaning starting at the beginning and finish at the end, or do you jump around based on ideas and preferred scenes? Julie, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it's not a clear um, answer. I would say that it depends on what part of the writing I am doing. For example, when I am pre-writing and getting myself ready to start a new project and I'm taking notes and feeling inspired and developing an outline, then I would say it's very nonlinear. Sometimes ideas come when I'm driving. Sometimes I spend a whole morning just thinking about a certain section of the novel. So as I'm pre-writing, I definitely do it in a nonlinear fashion. I'll hop around and I'll also spend time on key scenes, um, getting them all sketched out before I actually start writing. So that is definitely nonlinear. I sometimes start with the book ending, the beginning, looking at the beginning and the end of the novel. Other times I'll spend um, looking just at the inciting incident. There's a lot of hopping around in the pre-writing stage. I have to say, when you said you get ideas with driving, I think that is totally universal because I, so many writers are always like, oh yeah, driving and you get all these ideas. How, how do you capture them while you're driving as well? Oh, that's a very good question. So I have, <laughs> I have my, um, I never ever text while driving, of course, but I do have my phone so that if I'm, it's there, if the ideas are really coming, I'll just pull over and to a parking lot and hit the record device on my iPhone and just start talking into the record um, section. I also have the little notes feature inside my um, iPhone so that I can um, type notes if I'm in line at the grocery store or if I'm running a carpool with my kids or I'm sitting at a basketball game or whatever. So I definitely use my iPhone to collect thoughts as they come. I always have a pad of paper with me. So in my handbag, tote, whatever, I've always got paper and pen. I have paper and pen by my um, by my bed because I often, especially when I'm conceiving of a new story, I'll sometimes go to bed a little bit early and just lay in bed knowing that it's going to be a long time to fall asleep because as I'm resting and relaxing and my, my busy mind of the day is starting to slowly fade away and I'm getting ready to fall asleep and go into dream state, it's a very relaxing time. So a lot of creative ideas come then. So I always have the pad of paper next to me. Same thing with waking up. I like to wake up slowly during times when I really need to tap my creativity because a slow wake up instead of one that's really alarming and like literally alarming and makes you jump out of bed, the slow wake up will let you, your very relaxed um, psyche, I guess, or your relaxed body, your relaxed mind um, tap um, some creative thoughts that might be deep, deep inside. So I'll slowly wake up and the pad of paper next to me pretty much wherever I go and also the iPhone using technology to record thoughts that come up in my nonlinear life when I'm in strange places. I definitely um, use those tools to capture those, those moments. That's a good idea. I always have a notebook with me as well. I 
keep one in my backpack whenever I go out. But it's funny, you guys talk about coming up with ideas while you're driving. I never have any creative ideas while I'm driving. And maybe it's because <laughs> I don't drive very far. But all of my creative <laughs> ideas happen in the middle of the night or when I'm in the shower. Yes, the shower. Yes. The, if you, well, I would say wherever you figure out that the ideas are coming to you, that's where you put the pad of paper so that it's within reach. I'm surprised how much I'll think of something in the shower. And then by the time I get out and get dressed and dry my hair and then, you know, make my way all the way to the pad of paper to my office, you know, 20 minutes have passed. And I'll sometimes think, oh my gosh, what is it that I was trying to remember? What is it? What was it? Um, I'll also, when I wake up, sometimes look at the pad of paper and I have three or four words written down that I was sure in the middle of the night I would know exactly what that was. But then the next morning I look at it and I'm thinking, I have no idea what that is. So do be aware if you're waking up at night and collecting thoughts that you might not have the memory trigger might not be as strong if you do it in a sleep state than when you're doing it in your daily life. Also, the time between when the fleeting thoughts come to when you can actually write them down, be aware of that. that thoughts in the shower and it's 20 minutes before you get to your office to write it down um, you might lose something so then just move a pad of paper into your bathroom next to your sink and your toothbrush so that you can step out and capture all those thoughts yeah that's what I do I I interrupt my shower and I get out and I write something down or I'll type yeah. something in my phone yeah it wouldn't be crazy to put a dry eraser board in your shower because I know I've stayed in the shower longer when the stories have come i've I've just stayed in the shower longer letting the whole sometimes you get a download about you're solving a problem in the novel or an entire new idea comes and I, I'm almost frozen and afraid to move from that location for fear that I'll lose that train of thought so I have stayed in the shower longer just to like think it through and in those moments I think I wish I had a dry eraser board. I also think like, oh, I'm wasting water. Like I don't need, I'm all done with what I need to be doing here. I should be getting out. But I have definitely thought a little bit of extra water for a few more minutes <laughs> helps me get what I need to get. Because those downloads of ideas and inspiration come at the craziest time. So the nice thing is when I finally sit down to write, even though I've been kind of collecting ideas and thoughts from all over the place and I've been working on an outline and getting my thoughts down and fleshing out key scenes so that I have kind of milestones and destination markers of where I want to reach within the story. When I finally sit down to write, the, there's a couple of drafts. Of course, the very first draft, the worst draft, not the first draft, but the worst <laughs> draft, because it's always filled with like horrible things and mistakes. And I'll go on slight detours and then get back to my outline and it's just a hot mess. But what I do for sure, I didn't always, but I do now, is that when I sit down for the first draft, I will write linear. I will go from start to finish. And there's a couple of reasons why I do that. And by start to finish, I mean I start and I don't, I don't loop back. I don't go back to perfect the first chapter. I don't go back to make sure that I've got the best opening line and the best opening paragraph. I start that story and for better or for worse, go all, keep working on until I reach the end. There are places for sure in the manuscript where I even hop completely out of telling the story. And sometimes they're just notes. Like if I get stuck and I'm, I know I need to keep writing forward, but I get stuck and I can't quite get my words out or can't, it's frustrating, I'm having difficulty, then I'll just switch to notes. Sometimes I'll change the color of the font or I'll put something in brackets and just say note to Julie, you know, in this scene, make sure this person does that and this person does that and then finish out the brackets or change it back to the original color and then I keep going. So sometimes if I just can't access the writing, I'll tuck in a couple of notes that I can address later. But there's a beauty to going all the way from start to finish. 
um, in the very first draft. And would you like to know my thoughts on that? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. So I think that when you, first of all, you have to try to silence the editor. If you are constantly going back and revising and making pretty those sentences that you created yesterday and last week, then you are, you have a very heavy editor on your shoulder. And I think that it's very helpful in a first draft um, to try to be completely in the creative um, writerly mind and try to silence the editor. The editor will have her time later. But when you're creating it and laying it down, you want to be able to access all of your creative energy, all of your creative thoughts, um, and get it all down without an editor on your shoulder. Because it is the editor that's telling you, oh, last chapter wasn't good enough. Go back and fix that. Go back, go back. And for me, I just got caught in this backwards loop. And it was really a productivity rut. And I thought, you know, I'm never going to finish this novel. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people never finish their novels is because they've got gorgeous first chapters. And they keep working on the first chapter. So that's part of it. The second part is... I've come to believe in the concept of like an organic manifestation. So if I spiritually enter the act of writing the very first draft of the novel and I start it and I stay with it, no matter what shape it takes, no matter how horrible or how good at whatever point in the novel, if I stick with it all the way to the end, I will allow something organically to manifest and my story will reach a conclusion. And then I can step back and usually take a little bit of time away from it, but then I can step back and look at it as a whole to see what was it trying to tell me. I might have gone into the story thinking I was writing a story about, I don't know, pick a theme, revenge. But then when I'm done, I look at it and it's a story of justice or it's a story of forgiveness. Um, So only when you get all the way to the very end and write literally during your first um, draft, are you able to stop and say, what was this thing that I helped pull into shape? What was the sculpture? What was this piece of clay? What was this organic thing? What did it want to be? Let me let it get to the end and let it speak to me. So that part was, um, is really important and very valuable because of the difficult task of editing, which you can possibly talk about next, um, you'll have a better sense of what needs to be edited and what needs to be shaped once the whole thing has been laid down on the piece of paper and you see it for what it really truly is. The third and final thought about why it's helpful to write in the linear fashion from start to finish on your first draft um, goes back to something I've alluded to, which is, you know, time. It's faster to do this. Um, it's more efficient. If you are a writer that is working on a deadline, as I was for my last novel, it was on a deadline with my publisher. It would have done me no good to bog down and lose time constantly revising chapter one and going back to, you know, certain locations and making it as pretty as possible until I completely finish the whole thing. So you need to get to the end so that you and your editor if you are the editor for the second draft or if there's another editor person coming in to help you shape the story, you need to produce something that needs to be on the page for the hard, hard next steps to take place. So if you're working on deadline, I think it's the only way to go. <laughs> you know, get, it, get, get it on paper so that you have something to work with. Um, it'll help you be more efficient. Um, and it will also shorten the amount of time for a lot of writers who say, I've been working on my first novel for 10 years. Um, I would say you know, explore why it's taken 10 years, but certainly maybe part of that is making gorgeous first chapters and beautiful chapter fives, but not finishing out the story. I think the, the issue with the, the editor on your shoulder, I mean, I have suffered for that for a long time. Mm-hmm. My first stories that I used to write, 
I don't even think it was that I was trying to get everything like really beautiful, but it was just, I would constantly go, oh, I thought of something nicer and better to say and the strength yeah. of the character. And I would just bounce back and forward throughout. And the problem with that is when I finally finished the first draft and then stepped away and came back, I'd be like, hmm. I'm going to have to chop a lot of this stuff out because I don't like the story enough. So all that editing was completely time-wasted because then I stripped the story out and started again with a stronger plot or maybe I gave a character a bigger part. So and a lot of that extra editing I did that I didn't need to. Just It was. It was a, way, a time waste. I totally agree. And so one thing I've started to do, I've, been, I've done the exact same thing. And one of the ways that I've solved that problem for myself in my own writing life is I always have a dedicated spiral notebook next to my computer on a particular project. And so instead of taking the time to go back into a location of your manuscript and rework a personality or rework a, a character action or rework whatever it is that you're reworking, which could take a really long time to make that little area what you want it to be it's mm -hmm. a lot faster to write notes down that's basically a spiral notebook so that when I do my next pass through this novel and when I'm going into my next round of editing here's my notes about chapter five here's my notes about this character here's my notes about the sequence of events so that I can incorporate it into the second round um, but when it's a first draft which is different than a second and different than a third a first draft, I think it's really helpful just to get it all down, get to that the end. I sometimes, um, I kind of intuitively know what my word count is going to be, just kind of the shape. I've only written two novels, but both of them are around the exact same size. So I kind of have an intuitive feel for how big and how long this project is actually going to be. But the first draft is about 20,000 words shorter because I know that in the editing, I'm going to be fleshing things out and adding to, of course, taken away, but it's going to continue to grow. So, for example, if a writer was trying to get 80, 85,000 words on the page, which is the average length of an average adult novel, maybe your first draft is 60,000 words or 55,000 words, knowing that in your second draft, you'll be fleshing it out and, and it'll start to grow and swell. I also have a thought about that just came to me about um, when you're writing linearly, when you're um, crafting your novel. It's one thing to start and then write all the way to the end, all in a row. But when you do so, keep a couple of things in mind, and those are three timelines. One is your is the timeline of the story. So the first novel that I wrote, I well, the first novel I wrote is is uh was my practice not my practice novel the novel that i kind of learned how to write on it will, <laughs> it will never see the light of day um, so technically my second novel but the first one that was ever published um i originally conceived of it as taking place inside of one day but then that changed and i let go of that idea because it just wasn't working and so the first novel takes place inside of one week and so it was through that novel i started to realize two different timelines um well three total, but let me stick with the first two. There's the timeline of the story itself. Is the story going to take place over four decades or one day or six months? So you, when you're writing linearly, you might want to be careful to keep track of what day it is and what month it is in your storyline. Because if you go back in an edit and you're now moving chapters around or you're reorganizing stuff, sometimes you can mess up the logic of the story. And what helps is if you are fully aware and you give a little space for your, um, for your characters to, if you needed to move things around. When I had so everything piling in on one day, when I went to break down and reorder some of those activities, I was breaking them down and reordering them inside of a day. And that tight time frame was very challenging to do so. 
if you're crafting a novel that took place over, you know, a month or six months or even decades, when you go to reorder events, you've got a little bit of wiggle room in terms of timeline. So as you're writing, be aware of the timeline. Am I, have I, have I turned the, am, am I a week later? Am I a day later? Am I a month later? Am I progressing on the timeline of the life of the story? Also think about the writer's, I mean, excuse me, the reader's timeline. So for me, um, I had a very busy first day in my first novel. Um, but there was a point in the first novel where my character reflects on, wow, you know, like what th this has been a really long day for the reader at that point, they're going to look down at the page count and be like, holy crap. Yeah, it was one day in the character's life, but this was like three days of my reading life. Or I don't know if they're sitting down in one setting to read it or if they're picking it up and it's taken them a week to read the book. Um, so be aware of the timeline that your characters are experiencing, but also the timeline that your reader is experiencing. Um, sometimes your reader, then readers have different um, preferences. So they might want to read a story that goes wide expanses in time. Um, so you just want to be mindful of timelines. I don't want to bog down too much in this topic, but the third and final thought about timeline is your own. And I think I alluded to that. You have a timeline, sometimes a deadline. And if you want to get that first draft down in three months or in six months or in, in one year, you might want to kind of get a calendar and kind of track this and make sure you're holding yourself accountable and that you're getting, you're hitting your milestones and you're getting this manuscript on the page. A lot of the reason why I do it literally the first draft is just that to keep an, to keep an eye on my particular timeline in my own personal life. So three timelines to keep in mind. You talk about the three timelines. I keep in mind the story timeline. I write mystery. So each chapter, you know, at the heading, it says what day it is and even the time. And I really mm -hmm. keep track of that because when I wrote the very first draft, I didn't keep track of any of that. And it seemed as yeah. though my characters solved the mystery in about a day, which that doesn't yeah. happen. <laughs> it is amazing. And I don't, and I always wondered, wow, is this just me? But I made a conscious effort in the writing of the second book to be very, very aware of timelines. Second book takes place over the course of a month. Um, but it was, you know, you're keeping track. It was Wednesday. It was Tuesday. It was next week. How much time has passed? Because the reader sometimes does that. They think, oh, this event happened in the story. And then this event happened in the story. You know, wow, that's a lot to take place inside of one week. Or maybe it's supposed to take place inside of one week. I mean, I'm not saying that your, your novel can't be a day long. I'm just saying whatever the length of time it is, be aware and, and track the timeline as you're writing linearly and as you're, um, you know, getting the story down on the page. Right, exactly. And even if you don't write linearly, if, if you jump around, it's still good to keep track of that because then you can say, oh, well, I want the characters to do this, but they need to do X, Y, and Z before they get to that point. Yeah. But this sounds yeah. more fun, so I'm going to write this first. <laughs> right. Well, for me, it helps to do the outline and to flesh out the um, key scenes because I can be aware that, okay, I'm bogging down in the coffee discussion in the morning, I still need to get them to the party Saturday night or whatever the thing is. So, so if you're aware of the timeline within the story and for the reader and for yourself, that also helps as you're writing linearly from start to finish. I do a little something different when I come to edit the second and the third, third draft. Do you want to hear what I do there? Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. So second draft is a developmental draft. At this point, I have completed the first awful, terrible, rough draft that I started from 
um, start to finish. And in the second draft, this is when I'm definitely not writing linearly or even um, reading through it and perfecting all the sentences as I'm going through my second draft because I think that the developmental edit has to come before the line edit. So my second draft is a developmental big picture edit. So I take a, take a break from the writing, I come back to it with fresh eyes, and then I sit down and I read it as a reader would, and I make notes throughout the manuscript, and I figure out the big picture things. You know, did I, do I need to cut a character? Do I need to change a scene? Do I need to move things around? Have I, do, am I building a theme? Am I, am I doing all the things in the, the rhetoric of fiction and in the realities of a story life, is it all on the page? So these are really super big and very messy and very overwhelming and very difficult. And it's the time that I often am like, I can't do this. This is so hard. But that's when the spiral notebook really comes into play because instead of being caught at different locations within the manuscript, the very first read of the manuscript that I do in the second draft, I'm taking notes in the spiral notebook. It is very relaxing to me to have a checklist because I'm, I, I, then I think, well, you're not going to forget anything. Don't worry about it. If you can't fix it right now, it's in the spiral notebook. You'll get back to it. But I'm, I move around and change the big picture items first, starting with the biggest and the most difficult and the most expansive, moving down like a funnel down to the smaller, less, less big, less big um, <laughs> and, um, developmental things. So that's what I do in the second draft, and that's definitely nonlinear. The third draft I go through and then it's a line edit and then I start I'm back to linear again and I start at the first sentence and I kind of clean up all of the mess that I created in the first draft and in the developmental draft um, and so in the third draft when I'm going line by line I'm looking at the sentence how does it read what do the words look like as punctuation does this make sense and so then I'm going start to finish so in three drafts I go non-linear for the outlining and the sketching out the scenes. I go linear when I'm writing the first draft. I go non-linear during the second developmental draft. And I go linear for my third draft, which is a line edit. I always write linear no matter what, because it bothers me to jump around. <laughs> you think so deeply into it. And I'm like, no, 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 you know. Chapter three comes before chapter seven. I have to write chapter three first. Yeah, <laughs> I understand. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, I, I'm in this podcast acting as if I, you know, hold fast to all these rules. Um, for, I would say 90% of the time, this is exactly what I do. But I will say that there are moments when I break my own rules. A lot of people <laughs> ask, are you a plotter or a pantser? And I, I say, well, I outline so that I can pants later. <laughs> and so I, I do a little bit of both. But officially, I would say 90% of the time, this is my new method of writing, not what I used to do, not what I've done in the past, but moving forward, writing on deadline, the only way I'm going to be able to write a book a year and keep my reader happy is to get a little bit of um, structure to my process and a little bit of thought into what works for me. And of course, what works for me won't work for everybody else. Everybody has to have their own their own rhythms and their own um, productivity. But for me, this is how it works best with three drafts, get to the finished on the first draft and then hop around for the developmental and then go back and go line by line for the third draft. I think you, you have to try and do different things to find what works best for yourself. Like you said, you had something different and now this is your more current situation. I mean, I actually do jump around when I write my first draft. I, I am not... Lydia at all I, I go for the strongest scene in my head and I write that first and if that means I write the end and then 
part of the middle and maybe chapter two. And, and I don't write in chapters either. I write in scenes. And then mm. at the after my first draft, I then make them into chapters. I'll be able to chop and change that. Yeah, that's where a chapter would be. And that's where a chapter would be. But I do, I do still complete the first draft now. And I don't listen to my, my editor as much. But it's just, yeah, I think, I think you have to try different methods because if someone said, this is the best method and you could end up forcing yourself to try something that doesn't work for you and pushing, thinking I'm not doing it right. So there's something wrong with me rather than saying, well, actually it's not right for you. This might work better for you. I totally agree. 100%. And one writer might change their process from one story to the next. You know, it all depends on where you are in your life and what the story is demanding of you. So certainly be, everybody does it differently and any one person might do it differently for each project. They might approach it differently. I will say that on some of my chapters, I'll go in and write at the heart of the scene and not really worry about, you know, and then they walked into the room and then they all took a seat at the table and then they all had a cup of coffee and then this happened. I'll sometimes to avoid all of that kind of excess setup writing that I often end up cutting in a, in a edit anyways If I know what's happening in the scene, sometimes I'll just go straight to the heart of it. I'll just go right to the argument, right to the action Mm -hmm. on the first draft and just kind of get it laid down in place and then flesh the scene out around that as opposed to entering the scene with sentence one, they walked into the room. So sometimes depending on what I feel I can do as a writer, I'll, I'll sometimes start right at the heart of that chapter, that scene, and um, later go back and, you know, flesh out, get them all into place. Um, but there, one, I'd started to do something different lately that I have never done before, and it really helped. Um, and this, and it was this. So for my second book, I wrote the jacket copy, you know, like a two paragraph, you know, um, or one paragraph, one paragraph and a half um, jacket copy or book blurb. I wrote the synopsis, which a one page kind of real quick telling of what's going to take place. And I also started to write out a series of book club questions. And I did that while I was outlining the story and before I began writing. And it was the first time I ever did it, and I really liked it because I liked having the support of the outline as well as the book club questions, as well as the synopsis and the jacket copy, because it helped me to understand what I was writing towards, like what the final product was going to possibly look like. It helped me to write faster when I knew what the destination looked like. It's like knowing I'm going to Hawaii, this is how I'm going to pack versus I'm going to you know, Russia, this is how I'm going to pack. So I kind of knew the destination. It's funny because when I finished that project, it, it didn't look quite like the jacket copy, the synopsis or the book club questions that I had originally designed while I was outlining. I would say it was about 75% accurate, um, you know, in terms of I hit essentially 75% essentially stayed in place. A lot got chopped and a lot got added. So it did change and take for take um, different, a different shape. I wasn't rigid and I didn't stick to it without, you know, you know, saying by golly, it's going to fit this little, this rigid little box. Um, But I, for myself with the first novel that I completed, then when I was told, now you have to write a pitch or query letter for an agent, now you have to write a synopsis, now you have to write book club questions, I was like, what? You don't think I can't do that? I wrote the book, I, I literally was like, please tell me to write another 85,000 words because I really can't write a one-page synopsis of these 85,000 words. That is freaking hard. I was like, I'm a novelist, I'm not a 
poet. I don't write in short form. This isn't flash fiction. Don't make me write, don't make me write a one paragraph pitch for a query letter. It was really, really hard. And so I thought to myself, I don't want to live through that agony again. I'd rather sketch it all out ahead of time. So it, that's very nonlinear. That's almost starting at the end when fleshing out what the final components of the produced book will look like before starting the writing. So that's kind of backwards. So instead of linear going from start to finish, this is almost like going from finish backwards. Um, but I will say it was helpful. And as I was writing that spiral notebook and that set of book club questions, as I was discovering things when I was writing, I was finding new book club questions or I was deleting old ones that I thought were going to be important. And I was adding things to the synopsis and I was crossing things out. So the jacket copy synopsis and book club questions absolutely were a living document. Every, every bit as much as the manuscript is a living document. But I sure liked having them by my side for the second book. It made it a lot easier um, than what I did for my first book. And, you know, it worked for me. Maybe I should give that a try because I avoid the synopsis like the plague. I know. People ask me, what's your mystery about? And I say, do people solve a mystery? There you go. There you go. (laughs) Done. (laughs) That's all. That's all the information you get. You'll have to read the book well you know it's interesting because there will there will come a time that you'll you'll look at the story that you wrote and people will start to ask hard questions which bookshelf does this belong on in the bookstore who are your readers what is your target market what are the comp titles what are the authors that write similar work and might share a similar audience you know so there will in the end be market questions or ways to how do I now get my story into the world and so sometimes if you kind of look at the world first or look at comp titles or books or authors or Um, I'm not saying look at their books and then you create a book similar to it. I'm just saying kind of be aware. I know that there are many writers that if you'd ask them, well, what is the genre? They're not quite sure. And that's okay. They're like, "Uh, there's a little bit of, I know somebody, here's an example. I know somebody that is kind of like, I think it's cross genre, genre. There is a romance. There's a mystery. It's kind of psychological thriller. Well, then the question became for her, is this romantic suspense? Is this thriller? Is this a domestic thriller? you know, what is this? And so then she ended up having to really fine tune her, her, the elements of her novel to fit a genre so that it could be marketed and put out into the marketplace. And a book cover designer could make sure that the cover design matched, you know, romantic suspense versus domestic thriller versus, you know, the different genres. They all are slightly different and they do require slightly different things when the book is being produced and released into the world. So she came out of it feeling it as if she kind of was in three genres and she was calling it cross genre and she got real quick told if this thing is going to sell to a publisher, we need to like, we need to, it's confusing. So we need to make sure that we are kind of not picking one and sticking to it. I know a lot of people would be like, what, what, this is terrible advice. I'm talking about one person's experience. Um, had she, had she looked at the marketplace first and said, I want to try to stay solidly in the romantic suspense um, lane, she would have saved herself a lot of rewriting. She would have made, possibly made different choices in the telling. She's happy with the outcome, but she had a painful edit. I think with like, if we're, if we're talking about like categories and genres, I think, as you said, people get caught up with, with like, oh, it's this and it's this and it's this. And like, especially if you're doing it on Amazon, it's, it's always an idea to think, right, well, you need your like your main genre. You might have a subsection that classes it as romance subsection that's sci-fi but if it's like its main overarching theme you want to be thriller then that's kind of the genre 
that you think about and then you can tag in the other things afterwards. I mean, that's why places like Amazon have subcategories so that you are covered in those areas, even if it's not officially, you know, a main romance Absolutely. I totally agree. And some of the best books I've read lately have crossed genres or have incorporated more than one genre into the storyline. And I have loved it. Or they've taken a genre and completely turned it, turned it on its head in part because they took elements of another genre and incorporated it into the storyline. Um, so this was just one story of one writer and the time she, you know, the, what, she experienced with that one particular manuscript that was definitely not to say that you have to choose one genre and stick with it just that I know somebody who had a painful edit because she really wanted to she didn't quite um, hit the mark on um, the romantic suspense like she should have and could have during the initial writing because she kind of just let things roll and then she kind of came out with a lot of many things and to strengthen her particular story she went back in on an edit that was mostly just like a genre edit. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing the romance reader. I'm confusing domestic thriller readers. I'm confusing romantic suspense readers if I'm not picking a lane at all for that particular story, for that particular writer. This definitely isn't, you know, a, a blanket statement that would apply to everybody. But I thought it was interesting to, I would thought to myself, wow, she's got to develop, she's got an edit that relates to genre, which is really interesting. Normally when we edit, we're like, you know, increasing the stakes or increasing tension between characters or whatever, but she was definitely doing an edit so that she was found herself on the correct bookshelf. For her, that particular, that particular edit was a genre edit, which I thought found really fascinating. If you can pick out at least three major plot points from your story and see what they all have in common, I think you can kind of narrow down your genre through that. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, you know, it's funny when I was first writing, the genre was one of the things that confused me the most. You know, I would go to writers' conferences and go to classes and stuff and hear everybody talk about these different genres. And for the longest time, I was hunting down a master list of like, what are all the genres? I want to learn what the genres are. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it, you can get really, you can get down in the weeds. I mean, just for example, in the romance um, category, you've got lots of different genres there depending on all sorts of things and and the romance readers they do they some of them read across genre i mean across the different categories but many of them hone in on one particular type of storyline you know enemies to friends or friends to enemies i'm probably saying it wrong a romance listener will be like she got it wrong that's not what it's called <laughs> um but in terms of like how much how much physical contact is on the page you know are they is there sexual tension throughout the man throughout the whole manuscript you know, is it on the page or is it off the page or, you know, all of those little nuances of genre for some reader, for some writers, that's really going to matter to their market. And that's why I think sometimes hitting the jacket copy synopsis book club questions ahead of time while you're doing the outlining will help you if, if, if you're that writer that needs to hit all the marks in epic fantasy or you solidly want psychological thriller that's not domestic or you want espionage and you just sometimes you'll want to have those things figured out um, before the writing begins. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to go look at my work in progresses right now and look at them with a totally different viewpoint. <laughs> yeah, well, from a backwards, it's like, talk about linear from the back, from the end towards the beginning. The, you know, the end being like, now it's got to go into the marketplace. So how does it get into the marketplace? What is it? 
um, because I really truly thought at that I was rudely <laughs> it was a rude awakening for me when I completed the first first book and was like ta-da world I, I finally freaking finished this thing and then then they looked at me and said well, you've got a lot of work to do you know you need a you need all these other things you need a query letter you need a jacket not everybody's going to need a query letter for an agent um, but you're going to need you know jacket copy you're going to need synopsis you're going to need marketing you're going to need book club questions you're going to need a cover you're going to need you know there's so many things that you need after the difficult part of the writing is so talking about linear versus nonlinear, it helped me in the second book to start at the end and turn around and say, you know, where's my destination? And let me try to flesh that out a little bit. Again, packing for Hawaii versus packing for Northern Russia. You're going to, you're going to pack differently. I love that. I think that's a perfect way of describing it. That's just perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just ask, cause you mentioned like book club questions and I'm like, I, no idea what that is uh, that's something else I'm gonna to have to add to my list of things because obviously I know about jacket copy I know about synopsis I know about the idea of like all the marketing uh, graphics and teaser trailers and all that mm-hmm. book club questions yes what is well, that <laughs> no, no. so back to what I was saying with the example of the writer that had to rewrite for her genre you know every writer has different challenges or different goals I am under contract with an imprint that is a book club imprint. So I'm under contract with Lake Union Publishing and they are the book book club imprint of Amazon Publishing. So I am, I am on contract to write for them books that um, would spark conversation within a group of people. So I am aware of trying to create a book that people would one, select to be read during a, for a book club, but two, to give them something to talk about the night they get together with the, the wine and the cheese and the fun times. So I want to make sure that I'm building stories that um, provoke conversation um, and that would, you know, not provoke yes or no questions. You know, like if, if you get to a book club, discussion question and it's pretty straightforward yes no did this happen yes no you want you want to have questions you want the story to provoke questions in the reader that makes them think and then also provokes discussion so um the the book club questions for me for my books for my reader for my imprint do become an integral part of the whole total package but that that may not be the case for all writers um but for oh, me but in particular, it is. It, yeah, but that's good to know because I wouldn't have even thought about that. And yeah, as you said, yeah, people have book clubs, people talk about it. Yeah. And I wouldn't have thought to even consider looking at a book in that way to create questions. Oh my gosh, well, I, I feel like I'm like, wow. <laughs> it's probably a topic for a whole nother podcast, but one of the, <laughs> just developing book club questions. A couple of things I try to hit on writing book club questions is I, and it helps me do, it informs my writing back to this whole topic of do you write linearly or hop around, etc. cetera. Um, I know that I want to have a, you know, a couple of book club questions that hit theme, that talk about character development, that talk about in, um, events in the story that relate the story to the reader's personal life. So there's a couple of um, buttons I want to press or a couple of um, things on the checklist I want to make sure that I've gotten built into the story. So knowing that I'm going to come out with a balanced set of book club questions at the end of telling the story helps me as I'm writing. And that's one of the things that I'm, I would say that of the three 
you know, we talked about the first draft going linear, the second draft being hopping all around as a developmental edit, and then the third draft being a line edit, which is more, you know, linear, start and get all those, those typos and spellings and the language just right. I would say it's the middle one, the de developmental edit that I'm hopping around, the second draft, that I work the most with my book club questions. Because if I finish writing the first draft and I've got a story that really doesn't provoke a lot of conversation or isn't hitting some of the buttons that I was hoping that it would hit, um, and I look at my book club questions and I think to myself, you know, I was just going to use this as an example. If this was a story about revenge, I probably want to have a revenge question in the book club questions. And so then I can evaluate my revenge questions in my book club and then look at the manuscript itself and say, what have I laid down inside of this manuscript? that gives information to the reader to be able to chart and see and experience and, and the revenge concept throughout the storyline, you know, so that if they are together and somebody does say, okay, question number seven, what did, what did you blah, blah, think of when the blah, 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 you know, the revenge, blah, they'll be able to follow, they'll be able to answer it, you know, cause you don't want them all sitting there going, um, like, I don't really know how to answer that question. So I will, it's in the second draft developmental draft the most i'm always aware of everything at all times but i would say that's really when the book club questions come in um that i make sure that that i've got i've got something at the end of the story so you know and and that they're thought-provoking book club questions i mean i i even thought at one point when i was um wanting to get the first book you know pitched to an agent and then and on hopefully to a publisher, I thought to myself, gosh, I almost want to give the jacket copy, the synopsis and the book club questions. They would be very overwhelming for writers to have to do. But I thought if I were an agent, it would be really great to see, let me get two paragraphs or a paragraph and a half about what this is about. Um, let me get a one page. Let, let let's me see that, you know, everything was hit in terms of story structure. And then let me see the book club questions so that I can in one page or two understand what, questions and thoughts and things are going to are going to come from this story it'd be uh hard on the writer but i would imagine very efficient for the editors um the acquiring editors of the publishing houses and for the agents um to be able to make fast decisions again not everybody wants to go the traditional route a lot of people want to are avoiding that for for a lot of good reasons um but still in marketing copy you could you could roll your jacket copy straight it's designed for marketing you could tease out some of your book club questions um, as an indie writer or a traditional writer or a hybrid writer you could tease out some of your book club questions in part of marketing or in, in a twitter conversation or as a facebook post you know so all of these components are helpful no matter what your path of publishing and it certainly is helpful to have them all in mind even even when you're sitting down to write the first the first word i'm gonna have to think more on that because when I outline my novels, I create a list of plot points that I want to touch upon in the draft. I'll sometimes form them as questions. And if I don't answer all of those questions by the end of the novel, then I need to fix something. Mm -hmm. But forming them as book club questions sounds a lot more fun and useful. Yeah. It, it, if it works, if it works, if it's helpful for your listeners, then, you know, that's wonderful. Um, and like I said, again, it may not matter to some writers, um, you know, so choose, choose to do, you know, choose whatever comes from this conversation that's helpful to you. These are the things that were helpful to me and that I came to, came to really believe in. It's, it, I, I also, because back to the, right now I'm trying to write a, a book a year. 
I have been doing a lot of soul searching in my own private process of, of trying to be aware of places in my own life where I'm wasting time or spinning my wheels or having to redo things or wishing I had done it better or more efficiently. Um, and these are just a couple of things that I've learned at this point in my journey as a writer. I might have something totally different to say next year, in five years and in 10 years, but from where I'm at right now, and I'm just sitting down to develop my third book, um, this is where I'm at. And it, and it came to this a lot more than anything. I came to this from making mistakes and from learning about ways that I could have done things differently. And again, and I think we've said it in the podcast, this is just my one unique journey as one individual writer approaching. And it, and it will probably evolve and change from there. And I'll have something completely different to say um, after writing the next book. But this is where I'm at between book, finishing book two and starting book three. This is where I'm at with my process when somebody asks me the question, do you write um, linearly? Linearly, I have to learn how to say that word. Um, or non-linearly. <laughs> non-linearly. <laughs> say that 10 times fast. Linearly. Um, but yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> everybody has their own journey and everybody has their own unique writing style. And it takes a long time to figure out that writing style. And as you said earlier, it all depends on the project. It depends on the genre. So even if you find what works for you for one book, it's going to change for the next book. Yeah, I agree. Thanks so much for Julie for joining us this week on the Merry Writer podcast. Julie, do you want to tell our listeners anything about you? Do you want to mention your books or your website oh. or feel free oh, to plug sure. away? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I would say that you can find me at julievalerie.com. And I'm writing a series for Lake Union Publishing, which is an imprint of Amazon Publishing. And the series is titled The Village of Prim Series. And the first book, Holly Banks, Full of Angst, um, released December of 2019. So it's been out for about six months. And in Holly Banks, Full of Angst, uh, it is a um, described as a laugh out loud debut novel for anyone who's tried to live the perfect life and learn the hard way. There's no such thing. So that brings us to book two in the Village of Prim series. And book two is titled The Peculiar Fate of Holly Banks. And that book will be releasing November of 2020. And in this book, a wife, mother, and aspiring filmmaker clings to the pursuit of perfection only to have fate play with every plan she's made. So I will hopefully be releasing a book a year. Um, and they tend to come out in November and December. So not going with that that will be what will happen moving forward. But there you have it. Holly Banks, Full of Banks, released December 2019. And The Peculiar Fate of Holly Banks, coming out in November 2020. JulieValerie.com. It's sometimes confusing. Julie's my first name and Valerie is my last name. Um, and put them together and it's Julie Valerie and then add .com and you'll be able to find everything you need to find about me. Great. All the links to that will be in the description below. Be sure to go visit Julie on her website and her social media and give her some love. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Do let us know if you write linearly or jump around in the comments below or on Twitter using the hashtag The Merry Writer Podcast. If you want to get some extra content, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Merry Writer Podcast. You can support our show and get yourself some great rewards. Tune in next week for another episode of the Merry Writer Podcast, where we ask all the right questions. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 This podcast is brought to you by Writer's Block. We hate our brains. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.